0: welcome to the sale street podcast we hope you enjoyed this week's message and for more information about our church visit salestreet.org good morning church how we doing you'll have to forgive me i'm a little excited today actually a lot excited pretty fired up because i see so many young people here there are so many people here to worship the lord and God has given us something great to go over today. And I don't say that because I'm preaching. I'm just excited that I get to be the one to deliver it to you. And I know God is going to bless us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I'm Jeff Bankins, one of the elders here, and uh, I'm normally in uh, Children's Church or Kidsville because that's where I spend most of my time. But every now and then I get to come speak to you, which I really look forward to. So uh, I'm glad y'all had D. Now I'm glad to see so many people that used to be students of ours in Kidsville that are not only growing up, but they're growing in their faith. Amen? Amen. All right, so today I'm going to say a prayer again, and then we're going to get with our text. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to everyone today, and I pray, God, that we would not just speak words, but that you would use me to proclaim your truth to everyone that is in this building and listening online. And uh, I just ask, God, that you help our time to be uh, great together. And uh, I just ask, God, that you uh, bless the words that come out of my mouth and help me, Lord, not to say anything that would detract from your word and your truth. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're reading Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So I'm going to read that for you, and then we'll kind of go verse by verse afterwards. Okay? Starting with verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together... It says, he returned to Capernaum at home. So if you remember, last week we finished Mark chapter 1. By that time, Jesus has made Capernaum his home base. Probably at the home of Simon and Andrew. And if you remember, not too long ago, in verses 30 and 31 of Mark chapter 1, that's where Jesus healed Simon or Peter's mother-in-law. So we believe that's where his home base was at Capernaum. We also know that his fame spread abroad because, remember, he told the leper in the message we went through last week, don't tell anybody what happened. Did the leper listen to Jesus? No, he did not. But how could he not tell everybody what Christ had done for him? He was healed of something that kept him from seeing every person he ever knew, from touching another human being, and Christ healed him of that and made him clean all over again. So. After Jesus made it uh, possible for him to be around others, Jesus' fame spread abroad, and now everybody knows who Jesus is, and they all want to see the healer. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus comes back to Capernaum, and the people were packed in this house like sardines. And here's a side note. uh, Reading Mark alone does not give you the full picture of what's going on here between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. What's a good idea to do is to read the Gospels and the Scripture itself as a whole so that we have a more well-rounded view of what's going on. So reading the other Gospels helps us get the whole story. And if you want to do that in your own time, I would suggest you read Matthew 8 and 9. That is Matthew's parallel to what's going on uh, in the text we've been going over lately. And it will help you understand that Jesus was up to a lot. He's been traveling all over the place. He's gone to heal people that are full of demons that weren't even Jewish He's been traveling by boat and lots of other things. He's been very busy, to say the least. Okay? preaching the word and no doubt this crowd consisted of many groups of people There were the people we would call rubberneckers you know they want to see what's going on they were there to see the show there were also those that were ill and in need of some type of healing then there were jesus genuine disciples and of course the last group were the critics and remember, a few moments ago, I told you that to get a better, more well-rounded view of what's going on, you need to read all of the Gospels. And Luke chapter 5 parallels what we're talking about today. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 uh, tells us where these critics came from and how many of them there were. All right, Luke 5, 17 says, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and this is inside that home at Capernaum, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem. This is another example of reading the Gospels and Scripture as a whole, as I said, to give us the whole picture. And as we could see, there are critics from all over the Israelite part of the Roman Empire to see what this guy's teaching. He was preaching the Word, so that tells us that Jesus never deviated from his mission, which is sharing the Gospel and saving sinners like you and I. Verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. As we heard last week, Jesus healed a leper. Then his fame spread abroad. And now everybody knows that this man is a healer. So this man has some type of paralysis. And four men that were no doubt close to him brought him to Jesus. They brought him on some type of stretcher uh, for the very reason of him being healed. Verse 4 says, and when they could not get near him, meaning Jesus... Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, remember, this is a time before electricity. Uh, It was not the type of roof we have here. It was no doubt made of wood, sticks, mud, something like that, maybe some thatch. And what these men do is they figure out a way to carry this paralytic on his sickbed up to the roof of the house... They start tearing it open, and when people feel sunlight hitting their heads and maybe uh, dirt and debris hitting, they look up, move away, and then this man is laid before Jesus, let down, I guess, by some type of rope or something. But the main point of that is these men, these four men, did whatever it took to get their friend, their companion to Jesus because they knew Jesus is the answer that this man needed. And that's how we should be with those around us uh, that need Christ. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was moved by the faith of these men. And we don't know if it was just the four companions or if it included the paralytic, but that really doesn't matter. The important thing was, Jesus knew their faith, and Jesus got to the heart of the matter. He didn't start off healing the man's physical ailments. He forgave him of his eternal sickness, which was his sin debt. Something that we all have in common. So he got to the heart of the matter, and he took care of the man's real problem first. And Jesus, remember this, Jesus always had the authority to forgive sin. But that was not ultimately accomplished until the future time when Jesus would die on the cross. Because it took that death on the cross to pay for our sins. So don't ever forget that. Jesus had to go through that in order for our sin debt to be paid for. Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? So notice two things there. The scribes rightly believed that only God could forgive sin. They were right about that. But they also accused Jesus of blasphemy because he was actually speaking the truth. He was God, therefore he was able to forgive sin. And remember, like I said a while ago, that would ultimately come to fruition through his death on the cross. In verse 8, this is our first instance of that word we talked about a while ago. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? This is another indication that Jesus was no ordinary man. You see, he was able to read their unspoken thoughts and intentions again because he's God. And then verse 9, he says, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And if you'll notice, throughout the Gospels, what Jesus likes to do to his critics, those that are trying to oppose him or stop him in some type of way, he will often present them with something that they cannot answer or that they will not be willing to answer. And that's what he does here. He presents them with something they were unable to answer, and then, at the same time, he's also indicating that sin and sickness are somehow related. The reason he does that is because Jewish thought at the time, based on their understanding of the Old Testament, was that sin and illness were interrelated. Now, are we saying that every time someone is sick with an illness, it's their fault because they sinned? We're not saying that. But the Old Testament does indicate that there is some type of interrelatedness between sin and sickness. Uh, A couple of places they would have got that from would have been in the Psalms. We're going to first read Psalm 103, or at least a few verses of that Psalm. And by the way, This is called a cross-reference, and I just want to tell you for a moment what we do in Kidsville. What we do every week is whatever Drew or one of the other gentlemen are preaching on, we do the same thing in Kidsville. And what we also do is we always make sure we use cross-references to help the kids get a better, more well-rounded understanding of the Scripture so that when you study at home, they know what you're doing, and you can work better together. Amen? So this is what I tell them. A cross-reference is basically this, just in case there's anybody here that doesn't know. I'll explain it to you in simple terms. We're in Mark chapter 2. We need to better understand something that's way over here in the Psalms. So we're going to go across the Bible to another spot that will help us get a better understanding of what we're reading. The reason we do that is the best place to help you understand the Bible better is to read more of the Bible, right? So you use the Bible to help yourself explain the Bible. All right. So Psalm 103, this is where we're talking about sin and illness being interrelated and how the Jewish thought uh, found that, which would have been in the Old Testament. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And here's where it comes. Verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. So... Right there, there's one of the spots they would have got that idea from. Another one would be in the first verse of, not the first verse, rather, the 17th verse of Psalm 107. Psalm 107, 17 says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. And so you see, this is another spot where sin results in some type of disease, sickness, or affliction. All right, and then our last cross-reference It's not necessarily going to be about sin and illness being connected somehow. It's really going to remind us that only God forgives sin. Okay, and that comes from Numbers 4, 18. We're just going to look at the very beginning of that verse. It says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And so all these cross-references are reminding us is that sometimes sin and illness are are connected, And only for God can forgive sin. And that's very important to what's going on in this passage. All right, so let's look at verses 10 and 11 of Mark chapter 2. It says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Remember a few moments ago we said that Luke shows us that this crowd is full of religious experts and critics. Mark lets us know they're not pleased with Jesus. They also understand Jesus' syllogism in these verses. Now, who in here until, well, not even yet, who does not yet know what a syllogism is? Guess what? I didn't know until I started studying this week for this sermon. This is what a syllogism is. It is a formal argument formed by two statements. And if those two statements are true, they point to a conclusion of truth. Okay, So basically, with Jesus' words and actions, this is what he's saying. Statement number one, only God can forgive sin. We know that's true because we just read that from uh, Numbers a few moments ago. All right, So statement number one is true in this syllogism. Statement number two, he's saying, I, Jesus... And forgiving sins. Again, we know that's a true statement. And these two statements, that only God forgives sin and I, Jesus, am forgiving sin, point to the conclusion that Jesus is God. And He has the authority to forgive sin just like God does because that's who He is. All right, so these religious leaders and critics understand that and they're not very happy about that. All right, so let's look at verses 10 and 11 again, but this time I'm going to emphasize something else. And by the way, I might get a little more excited than I have been already because this is one of my favorite illustrations from all of the Bible, especially the Old Testament. All right, it says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Let's take a closer look at something very important. Jesus claims authority on earth from God to forgive sin And then he calls himself the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Well, first of all, it was one of Jesus' favorite titles to call himself, to refer to himself as. But there's more to it than that. The Son of Man is someone that we see in Revelation chapter 14, and more specifically for what I'm going to share with you, uh, Daniel chapter 17 in the Old Testament. Now, As I said, this is one of my favorite visions or illustrations in the Old Testament. And remember, Daniel is going to be describing something that is indescribable and incomprehensible to you and I. The scene is going to be in heaven. It says in the clouds. In a moment, we'll read that. But just think about this. You've got God the Father being presented with God the Son. And then the Son is going to be told about his kingdom and his dominion and all those kind of things. And anyway, uh, let's... Get into that right now. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Okay, cool. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Remember, this is God the Son in the throne room of heaven. And he came to, this is one of my very favorite things in the Old Testament, the Ancient of Days. What cooler title could you have for God the Father than the Ancient of Days? I think that is so cool. Anyway, the Son of Man was presented to the Ancient of Days, presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which means it will never end, it will never stop, it will go on forever, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This perfectly describes Christ ruling and reigning over the entire earth, the entire universe, and everything else after his second coming. And uh, this is also found, as I said earlier, in Revelation fourteen fourteen. Uh, this is a scene from one of the judgments. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So remember, Old Testament saints were saved because they were faithfully looking forward to the coming of Isaiah's suffering servant, to the coming of the woman's or Eve's seed who would crush the head of the serpent, and to the coming of Daniel's the son of man who would save the world from sin. And all of those different visions and illustrations point to Jesus Christ. And all those critics know that he is Equating himself to this person that is also God. And like I said earlier, they're not happy about it. Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed. There's that word immediately again. And went out before them all. And this doesn't say everybody but the critics. This says all. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This paralytic leaves rejoicing in his physical healing and more importantly in the forgiveness of his sins. So I'm preparing to close and as I do that, I want you to know that as a church, we are great at doing things. I mean we did a great D now weekend, didn't we? The volunteers did a great job. My goodness. Uh, everyone opened their homes to those uh, young people. We had people here serving them with worship and other things and it was just an awesome thing. But A couple of weeks ago, we were asked to consider by Drew how we might change our priorities to grow in our prayer lives and in evangelizing those around us. And that really stuck with me, and that really kicked me in the gut. And so I I hope to add to that kick in just a moment, but in a good godly way. At Sales Street Baptist Church, our aim and goal is to train and empower disciple-makers. That starts at home. Parents, spouses, single people. I believe something we need to collectively work on is making worship a regular part of our everyday at home. So think about these things. Are you discipling those in your home? Are you being discipled at home? Are you regularly studying the scripture and having prayer time? And if you're doing that, I applaud you and I pray that God would use you to disciple your peers at this church. And if you're not... We already have the tools you need to do that. We publish a Bible study every week. We have youth service and family worship on Wednesdays. And while we call it family worship, we're really focused on teaching people, not just families, how to worship God on a regular basis at home every day of the week. And uh, if you're not doing that, I would suggest you start with 5 to 10 minutes of each day worshiping, praying, and studying God on a consistent basis and if you will do that it will not only change your household it will change the future of those around you because god will use you in a more powerful way to evangelize those around you and uh here i'm closing so i want to tell you this Uh, bring the sick to jesus just like the friends of the paralytic never miss an opportunity to pray for those that are sick and in need of christ around you the elders of this church love to get your prayer requests and we want you to keep bringing them to us But I do want to ask you one more thing. Before you bring your prayer request to us, please remember, pray for those people yourselves because you oftentimes are more in touch with them than we are. Amen? Second, we have to pray for those in need around us without leaving our main mission as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. And Mark wants us to know that Jesus is not only the Messiah. He is God. He is the Son of Man. And so my prayer is that you will feel the tension in the coming weeks, continue to build with the culmination of his death, burial, and resurrection. And remember that Jesus is the Son of Man, God in the flesh. He came to heal us of our ultimate need, the forgiveness of our sins for breaking God's moral law. Only God can do that, and Jesus is God. He's not just a teacher, not just a healer, not just a good person. He is God. And we owe him our complete devotion. Otherwise, he's not our Lord, Master, and Savior. And so today, oops, we have two paths. We can follow the path of the Pharisees and scribes, which is to see Jesus as just another religious leader of history. Or the second path, we need to come to terms with who Jesus really is, the Son of Man, God in human flesh. And I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to share this message today. I thank you for allowing us to proclaim your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church and as families that make up this church, whether we be families of one or families of many, that we would grow in our ability and desire to worship you on a regular basis, to make much of your name, and to proclaim you to those around us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.